Today's reading can be found in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 18. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand up right on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained uh, the people from offering sacrifice to them. This is the word of the Lord. All right. How you doing, fam? All right, my name is Alvin. I'm one of the elders here at MacAv Community Church. I want to welcome all you who are our visitors. Um, you know, I just thought about in my old church, we used to have a song where we'll actually put you on blast and have you all stand up and we serenade you. But um, praise the Lord, we don't do that here. So, uh, but we do want you to, uh, to enjoy the fellowship. Amen. Um, For you who don't have Bibles, go ahead and raise your hand up and we'll get you a Bible. Also, feel free to ask questions if you think they are beneficial to what we're talking about um, on this morning. Uh, If not, and you're not quite sure, then we ask that you just please, you know, hold those comments and questions and, you know, come talk with uh, a pastor or elder afterwards. Um, Today, we're going to be going through Acts 14. Uh, 8 through 18. Last week we went through verses 1 through 7. And uh, just as a a review, we saw Paul and Barnabas uh, enter Iconium. Um, They entered into the Jewish synagogue. And this particular synagogue had both Jews as well as uh, uh, God-fearing Jews. Uh, No, God-fearing Gentiles, right? Um, Gentiles who weren't, you know, of course, Jews by birth, but um, they understood the God of Israel. They understood the law, the prophecies and all these other things. And so they had an ideal of the God of Israel. And so as Paul and Barnabas is preaching the gospel there, some Jews came to believe as well as some Gentiles came came to believe. But there were also unbelieving Jews who hated the gospel and they began to poison 
uh, the Gentiles in the city. In other words, they began to prejudice them against uh, Paul and Barnabas. And so eventually the city was divided. Uh, it was a lot of uh, controversy. And, it, uh, and, and so the Jews, Gentiles, as well as the rulers plotted to stone Paul and Barnabas. And so when Paul and Barnabas heard this, they fled. Now, when they fled, it wasn't like they were just tucking tail and dodging. But if you uh, read in uh, verse 6 and 7, and I love this verse, it says, They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbys, cities of Lyconian, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Amen? Um, you know, um, one day I had a coworker ask me about, you know, do I teach my kids about Santa Claus? And I said, no. And they said, why? You know, do you feel like it's, um, you know, against your faith? It takes away from Jesus and all these other things. And I was just like, no, nah. it's because I didn't want Santa Claus still in my shine, right? You know, uh, when I was an unbeliever, you know, we didn't have Santa Claus because I work hard. You know, I, I deliver mail. I'm out there rain, sleet and snow and I'm, and I'm buying these toys and everything. And on that morning, I wanted to get my glory. I wanted to get my shine. I wanted the kids to be like, Father, Father, why are you so good to me? And I say, sons, be blessed. Right. <laughs> so it wasn't nothing super spiritual. It was just a heathen wanting glory. Amen. I'm glad you didn't say amen to that. But, <laughs> right. But of course now it's, it's about Christ, right? Because I have come to know my Savior. And what we're going to see here in these passages of Scripture is we're going to see um, God's shine get lost in translation. Um, we're going to see a great miracle happen, a good work of God. And what we're going to do is that then we're going to see the people look at this, this, this miracle through the lenses of their worldview. And then it's going to be uh, interesting what take place. Um, so, all right. So Paul and Barnabas, they fled to Lystra. And Lystra is about 18 to 20 miles from um, Iconium. And this city is, it was pretty much a Gentile populated city. Um, and this was like the first time that Paul and Barnabas um, faced straight up just Gentiles, uh, people who had no idea of who the God of Israel was. And in this city, you had uh, a military base, so to speak. And so the population was made up of Roman soldiers, Greeks, as well as the native um, Lyconians. Um, there was a few Jews there, but, you know, they were just kind of sprinkled around. Uh, they didn't have enough. It wasn't enough to form a synagogue or have any type of influence on a culture. Right. So this is just, just a purely Gentile pagan place. And so we come to our first passage. Bring it, up. it says, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. 
He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And so Paul and Barnabas, they entered Lystra. And there, as they were preaching the gospel, now they didn't go to a synagogue. Um, Like I said before, there weren't any synagogues in this city. And so probably what they did was they went to the public square or um, the marketplace, right? Kind of their version of Eastern Market. And so there, and you bring up the next verse, right? And so there, um, as they're preaching the gospel, this, this lame, crippled brother, right? And I love how scripture kind of put an emphasis, right? Could have just said he couldn't walk, but he, he was from birth. He was crippled. You know, he was lame. He couldn't use his feet. And what the author is trying to do is to get us to see, like, the, the hopelessness of this man's plight. Right. But this man is sitting in the crowd or in the crowd and he's listening to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well. And so God is doing something in this lame man's heart. And as God is doing something in his heart, you know, somehow Paul discerned and I believe it was by the Holy Spirit that this man had a faith. To be made well. Right. And so now you got to think about it. It's in this big marketplace. This public square. Paul is preaching. Right. People are probably kind of paying attention. Listening. You know. Somewhat doing their thing. Right. Because you think about it. You got these foreigners that just come into the town. And they just begin to like talk. Right. And so. Something might have been intriguing. And so they were listening and this man was listening. And so once Paul discerned that this man had a a faith to be made well, he raises his voice and said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Right. And so I love that. Right. So Paul is seeing everybody. He raises up another level to get everybody attention so they'll see the great thing that God is about to do. And what's cool here, here is that you see the faith of Paul. Paul, right, didn't hesitate. He knew what was about to happen. He lifted up his voice and he yelled and got everybody's attention. And then what did the lame man do? He sprang up and began walking. Now, when you look at this miracle, it really plays out kind of like the miracle that we saw in Acts uh, 3. When Peter and John went to the synagogue and uh, to the beautiful gate and there were a lame man there begging for help, begging for alms. And Peter says, look at me, you know, gold and silver. I do not have but what I do have. I give to you. Right. Rise in the name of Christ of Nazareth and walk. Right. You see the same type of miracle. Right. And so what was happening is that. You know, God is is confirming uh, Peter and John with the same power that Jesus had and right as they went to begin their ministry to the Jews. And now you see that same power with Paul as they began their ministry to the Gentile world. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of, of man. Right. So they get the crowd 
attention. The crowd sees this miracle. Remember, but when they see this miracle, they see it through the lenses of their worldview, of their religion. And what did they attribute this miracle to? Right? Their gods. They felt like now they were about to be visited by their gods. Now, when they began to like shout and this big commotion began to happen, um, they began to speak in their native language. And so Paul and Barnabas had no clue of what was going on here. And the reason why the crowd was, you know, all excited was because of this legend. It's the legend of Philemon and Bacchus. And what happened was, is that Zeus and Hermes came to earth in the neighboring district of Phygeria. Disguised as human beings, they seek lodging, but no one shows them hospitality and takes them in. Finally, an old peasant couple, Philemon, and his wife, Bacchus, welcomed them as, uh, as house guests. Even though it depletes their meager resources, the gods are angry and destroy the whole population for their lack of hospitality except for the gracious Philemon and Bacchus. The couple's humble cottage is transformed into a temple of which they are given charge unto Zeus and Hermes. Right? This was the religion of this community. And so when they saw this miracle, and we don't know exactly what Paul was preaching. We know he was preaching Christ, right? And he probably was talking about how, how God came down and took on flesh of man. He probably was talking about the incarnation, right? Um, and so when Paul is talking about the incarnation, how Jesus entered our, uh, our spear as God and took on flesh, they begin to think like, oh, Zeus and Hermes. They totally, right, miss Jesus right, miss what the miracle was about, and they begin to prepare for their gods, right? And so Barnabas, they called Zeus, and, and it's funny because, you know, I was reading commentaries, and it seemed like a lot of, com- uh, um, see a lot, it seemed like a lot of theologians kind of have a man crush on Barnabas because he was, he got Zeus because they said he looked really regal and, you know, was probably well put together. And then Paul, history says not so much, right? But, and they call Paul, so they call Barnabas Zeus and they call Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to sacrifice to their crowds. Right. So imagine this. So Paul is standing there and these people are, you know, they probably had some people that was like just fearful. Right. Because what happened last time in their legend, you know, the guys destroyed the whole population because they wasn't hospitable. So y'all need to remember that when we tell y'all to be neighboring. <laughs> right. So you probably got people that's fearful of the gods. And then you probably had people that was like, man, we about to get our blessings. So, you know, but you had this big commotion going on in the city. And then the priest heard the commotion. 
They told him probably what happened if he wasn't there. And then he go gets the oxen and brings it in and is all being prepared. And, and, and once again, Paul had no idea or Barnabas had no idea of what's going on. Until, and probably someone told him, who just like, yo, Zeus, what's up, man? Hey, Hermes, listen. You know, and began to inform them like they about to sacrifice and worship you. Right? Now, how do you think Paul took this? Do you think Paul was like, say, the prosperity preachers of our day? You know, the men who, uh, who make much of themselves, right? In the name of God, right? But you see their bling, you see their glory, and you don't see God's glory, right? So this would probably have been a prosperity preacher, greatest, you know, time, greatest dream. You know, I think about Simeon who wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So that he could lay hands on people and make them heal. Why? You know, because he would have been made a God, lowercase g. He would have been a Zeus. He would have been Hermes, and he would have stood there receiving all the glory and all the worship, right? Like Santa Claus. But Paul, being a God-fearing man of God, who, and if you look at Paul, I just remember the time in Acts uh, 17, and when he was in Athens, and he was looking around at the idols, and looking around like at this really like big city, right? Athens is like New York. You know, when you go to New York, your head is just up looking at all the lights and just all the action and all the nuances. And and Paul is in Athens and he see all these things and he see these things that would impress the average man. But he's standing there and his spirit is said is vexed, right? He is troubled, right? Because he see these people worshiping false gods. He sees blasphemy. He sees God not getting the glory, right? Paul was so in tune and, and so zealous about God getting the glory that it just physically affected his spirit. And so you imagine Paul, this man that is sensitive to the things of God, is in this city where he came to make Christ known, who did a mighty work in Christ's name, and now not only are the people um, worshiping a false idol, but they made him <laughs> the idol, right? Could you imagine that? And so what did he do? Once him and Paul found out, uh, once Paul and Barnabas found out what was going on, they ran into the crowd saying, Men, why are you doing these things? Um, We are also men of like nature, right? And so they had tore their clothes, which is this sign of, uh, is a Jewish sign of of blasphemy. Um, uh, uh, Well, it had like several meanings in scripture. It could be distress um, or it could be mourning or it could be blasphemy. And so, but here, you know, because of what's going on, Paul is just deeply like, just devastated by this blasphemy. And so he runs into this, this crowd of people, right? Now, this had to kind of throw them off because why is the crowd, why is the God running into the crowd 
tearing off his clothes. And he's saying, what are you, what are you doing? I'm just like you. I'm made of the same substance as you are, right? And you can imagine Paul who have caught some beatdowns and some, some stonings and some beatings, you know, he probably was just like, what type of God will have these type of scars on his body? It's ridiculous what you're doing. And then he says, we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, fam, I want you to look at that word vain. He told them to turn away from these vain things. This word vain simply means um, empty, worthless, nothing. He begins this mini sermon that we're about to see with telling them that their gods are nothing. Now, come on. Don't that sound like a little rude to some of you? Right. We probably would never thought of thought, never begin a gospel presentation with, dude, you know, your God is really worthless. Right. Because in our society, we don't speak that way. Right. We have to give some type of validity to all the religions. And sometimes as Christians, even though we may know that a religion is fake, We ourselves don't really look at it as just totally a figment of this person's imagination, right? And so we engage in our apologetics and going back and forth and saying this and that. And Joseph Smith had no evidence of these golden tablets and, you know, and, and... and, and Muhammad was just a man who went into a cave and came out and said, the angels talked to me and the Jews screwed up the world. Right. We don't look at these things as fairy tales or mythology. Right. Even though we would do that for Hermes and Zeus. Now, if someone came and said, I believe in Zeus. You'd probably be like, dude, <laughs> you need to get off that stuff. Right. <laughs> we will laugh. Right. And you know why? Because there are some religions that we kind of give some validity to, right? Once again, we won't say that they're false. We won't say that they're true, but society has conditioned us to to respect them. Now, I'm not saying that we should just go out and begin every gospel um, conversation with, you know, you worship worthless gods. But I do think this passage of scripture helps us to put the realities of false religion in perspective. That is just vain imaginations. Now, once again, we would think like Paul is rude or if you heard the street preacher saying turn away from these uh, false things, you probably think they were rude. Right. But what did God say about idols in Jeremiah? 51, 17 through 18. I didn't put it. Um, you could take down the address. Jeremiah 51, 17 through 18. It says, every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols for his, for his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the same time, well, and 
a delusion at the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Right? He said, every man is stupid without knowledge. Right? He said, they had no breath, meaning these idols that you make, they're not living. They're, they're dead. They're, you know, they can't hear you. They can't see you. They can't comfort you. They can't save you. They're false. They're worthless. They're delusion. And at the time of their punishment, they shall perish. And so everybody who follows their imagination, right, and don't turn to the living God, will perish. Right? And so idol worship is both ridiculous and it's criminal. Right? We don't let our kids grow up, you know, believing in their make-believe friend. There's a time where we say, oh, that's cute. Oh, look at that. But then it's like, come on, dude, you're 18. Knock it off. (laughs) Now, the most common forms of idolatry in biblical times was the worship of images or idols that represented or were thought to embody deities. Right. And so basically in the ancient world, you had like all these different gods and these different gods had jurisdiction over different elements of the creation. And oftentimes they are battling one another. Oftentimes they were fickle. And I mean, it was just basically a theological hot mess. But that was their gods. Now, it makes a great movie if anybody saw Class of the Titans. But it doesn't make a good worldview. Now, today, however, we don't worship graven images or golden calves, you know, except maybe like, you know, Hindus or, you know, different tribal cultures who, you know, haven't, you know, um, been kind of westernized because uh, monotheism, you know, is basically was. Judaism and Christianity. And so as they went into the world, even though Christ, you know, might not get the glory or was received, the ideal of monotheism kind of caught on. Right. And so so today we have so many different ideals. Right. It's not physical for us. Right. We don't have golden calves or anything on our you know, on our coffee table or any of these things, but we do have ideals, right? And so religion and idolatry in our day is more mental and psychological. Now, a a definition that I found for idolatry, and I got this definition from the Heidelberg Catechism question, number 95. It says, idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in the world, right? And so an idol is something that you put your trust in, right? And so the religions of the world, right, they're trying to, trying to like make sense of this, this, this crazy world, right? And they go out and they look at the world and they see evil, right? They see bad things happening, right? 
Um, and they're trying to make sense. They're trying to figure out, like, what's those big questions, like, who am I and what am I and why am I here, right? And they take all these questions, and then they begin to kind of start pondering what God, not pondering, start saying what God is. And so to, to, to help us, you know, with some of the worldviews or some of the vain concepts of God, I want to just go through a view of them, a few of them. All right. So once again, you know, idolatry is us trying to put our trust, right, in our affections into something, right? We're looking to trust something with our, our, with our future, right? You know, a lot of these uh, worldly uh, worldviews have uh, eschatology of how things should end, right? So we're, we're looking to trust something with our future. We're looking to trust something with our happiness. We're looking to trust something to give us security, right? We're looking for something to worship, right? But once again, uh, God reveals who he is in Scripture, Right. And scripture gives us the foundation to understanding who God is. And so when we are just trying to, like, put things together, you know, that's when we find ourselves in a bad situation. And so the ideal of dualism is that both God and the material material universe have eternally existed side by side as two ultimate forces in the universe. It implies that there is there is eternal conflict between God and the evil aspects of the material universe. So with this particular concept of God, it's good versus evil, right? Actually, they have um, Star Wars fanboys are trying to make a religion out of this, right? Because Star Wars kind of had this concept of the force. You have good and you have bad. And some of you are smiling, but this is real stuff that they have looked at the world and they came up with 21 maxims, right, based off uh, Star Wars and what um, what is noble and what is true. And now they're trying to actually make a theology of it, right? But with dualism, it's this concept of like, you got God and devil and the devil and they're warring and they're going back and forth. And we really don't have any idea who's going to win, right? And think about it. This is a, should be a very, like, like, fearful, you know, ideal, right? Because what happens if, if the devil wins, right? And, and what is, right, and what is victory? How, I mean, is there ever going to be an end? Are there going to be, you know, three sequels and then a, a, a prequel, you know? Like, when will it, it all end, right? And so that's dualism. And you see religions like, um, like Eastern um, religions embrace this ideal. Now, how does this affect us in our community? Because you don't see a lot of cats in the hood repping Star Wars, right? But I think this ideal of good and evil, is, 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 I think it's thick in our community. I think when you think about this ideal and you begin to think about like uh, us versus them mentality, right? You think about how in uh, an African-American community, right? Because it has been very oppressive in this country, 
right? We kind of developed this, it's us against them, right? And the us, we're the good guys, and the them are the bad guys. So we're the good force, they're the bad force, right? And, and, and so you begin to kind of see this ideal penetrate in different religions like Christianity, right? So you have liberation theology, right? Because it's God, because Jesus is the great liberator. He's going to free us of all our oppression, right? Or you see this ideal of us against them. You know, it begins to even trickle into Islamic traditions where you see the nation of Islam. And what is even more scary is that now ISIS, the terrorist group, is beginning to target young black men, right? To say, hey, we in the same battle that you are, right? And so this ideal of dualism, even though we are not Buddhist, right, in the hood, but this ideal of good versus evil is thick here. And people take that ideal and they begin to view the world through that lens. Next one. Materialism, the view that the material universe is all that exists. So like atheism. Um, um, the fact that, so what you see is, is like, this is it. Eat cake and die. Or as one of the, a rapper that I grew up listening to, he says, life's a trip and then you die. That's why I get high because you never know when you're going to go, Right. This ideal of like you might as well just have fun, have a good time because there's nothing on the other side. What you see is all there is. And you see this in the hood. It comes in the hood through um, materialism, right? And the fact that we may not be atheists, even though atheism is on the rise in the black community. Uh, we live lives just trying to get things, as Pastor Eric will always say. You know, we just live these lives trying to trying to get things and, and accumulate all these resources and everything and just enjoy what is in front of us, right? But that's just such a, a dead ideology. Why? Well, one, because there is something on the other side. Right. There is something. And depending on how you respond to the one true God's son, Jesus, is going to determine how you're living on the other side. But also the materialism, it just goes against the gospel because Christ came so that we may have life and to be truly be able to live the way that we were called to live, to have true joy, to have true peace and to have true happiness. Right. To be that sort of the world. Right. And so that's the deadness of materialism. It, it presents a reality where basically. Amen. Well, basically, it's just, like I said, what you see is what you get. Now, the next one. Deism. That's the ideal that there is a God, but he's not really involved. So God created the world, and then he kind of bounced to let the world just go his natural course, right? And so it's, 
And so we're here on our own trying to figure out everything, coming up with our own morals, coming up with our own ideals of purposes, trying to figure these things out. It's kind of agnostic, right? Yeah, there is a God, but you can't really know what he's about, right? And, you know, you see that permeate into our hood. How? Because this deist God, right, when you, you, when you, you, you notice that there, you, you admit that there's a God, but you're saying that he's not involved in the everyday runnings of life, you know, what happens is if you're in bad situations, if you're oppressed, right, if you're going through like misery and you're suffering, then you're just going through it by yourself. There's no purpose to it. There's no hope. Right. It's a very hopeless worldview. And unfortunately, I see a lot of people and you who've ministered here have seen a lot of people with this ideal. Right. That man, society really don't care about us. Right. They think less of us. We can't go into a Walmart. Right. Without being nervous about being shot and killed. Well, if we get pulled over, you know, we got to be fearful. And go through the regimen of, okay, hands on the steering wheel, no fast movement, right? Because it's just always this constant fear of, of what is going to happen or this constant fear of suffering and misery. And, but there's, there's no help to it. There's no relief to it, right? Because there is a God. And then how does this just make God look? It makes him look just cold, and heartless. But the one thing, but there's a scripture that just, man, if I, you know, when people are struggling and people in our community are hurting and you got the, the single mother who loses her, her child to, to violence or, you know, to be able to go to them and say that there is a God and he's good, right? And he's amongst us. And to say that, One day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away to say, look, there's something bad, something good on the other side. Right. And that's Jesus. That's the kingdom. Right. That one day will come. And then you got pantheism, pantheism, the ideal, the whole universe is God or a part of God. And so God is in this chair, he's in the stage, he's in the trees, right? This kind of new agey thing, Earth Day, environmentalism, right? Now, Christians, we are good. We want to be good creation stewards, right? You know, amen. I don't want Sarah and Sandra like jumping me afterwards. Right. So we are called to care for the creation. But we're not called to worship the creation. Right. And with pantheism, once again, God is in everything. And and now this pantheism is, I think, entering the community because God is also in us. Right. We have the divine. It's not the Holy Spirit that's in us. Right. It's this divine that we were birthed with. And someone that I think is really making a lot of way into the African-American community is Oprah Winfrey, right? 
call her the Oprah because she she is someone that is iconic and the 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 amazing part about her about her is that both whites and blacks and Asian, like everybody loves Oprah. So when Oprah is promoting something, when she promotes a book, what it, what happened? It goes to the top of the bestseller, right? When she promotes a car, it becomes the best-selling car, right? People go bananas over Oprah, and they really listen to what she has to say. And now they're listening to when she says that when she begins to promote New Age mythicism, when she begins to promote um, this course of miracles, and basically on her talk show, on her radio show, she had a whole year of just this new age teaching where people learn things like um, ask, oh, ask you to go through your day affirming who God is, right? So you go through your day affirming, uh, affirming that God is, right? That's pantheism. You'll go affirming that, right, God is the water. God is the trees. God is in me, and I can rise. I can be something. I am something because God is in me. And you go through the whole day affirming this. They also learn, right, and they tell each person to repeat this affirmation. I am the light of the world, right? And then they teach the students to say, Believe my salvation comes from me, right? Now, right, like I said, Oprah has the ears of the black community. And who she's bringing to the hood, you know, it's like people I never thought that I would see. Deepak Chopra, Rob Bell, right? All these, like, people come just with their new ideals and now we got to be on the lookout for this because you may run into it, right? You may run into these ideals. And so what we have to do is that we have to be ready to preach the real truth and to be bold enough to speak into their, um, into their faulty thinking. Amen. Now, verse 16, it says, In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. In Acts 17, 30, 31, it says, The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. Of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, think about this. From the fall, <laughs> like up to the cross, God is looking at this world. And what does he see? Idolatry, right? He sees rebellion, right? You know, he sees the people who he, he chose to prosper, to be a witness to him of his greatness to the world, right? To, to be the people who he will bring about uh, salvation to the world, right? Israel, his chosen people, he, right? He see that this people that he chose, right? He gave them 
uh, promises and he gave them the prophets and he gave them the laws and he gave them revelation of who he was. And guess what they did? They still fell into idolatry, right? All this revelation, they fell into idolatry, right? And so God is dealing with this, right? And sometimes as we're thinking about the ancient times, we just think everything was just going on, right? And what we read in scriptures, right? And so, of course, the Old Testament is primarily focusing on Israel, right? But God was also not, right? He wasn't missing what the the Gentiles were doing, right? You see, God is a jealous God. He's zealous for his glory. And for idolatry, all nations should have been wiped off the face of the earth. But God is long suffering and he's patient and he's merciful. And that's what God, that's what Paul is presenting to the Lyconians, right? That God is the creator of all. And he just didn't like set everything off and left, but that he's involved in what's going on. And in fact, while you were down here um, sacrificing your children, sacrificing to all these uh, false gods, doing all type of abominations, God should have wiped you off the face of the earth. But because he's patient and he's long suffering, he overlooked. But now that Christ has come and the righteous one. Right. And now that we have the revelation of Christ, now that we have the gospel now. Right. Now he's sending his people out into the world to proclaim to the nations of who Jesus is. The Gentile nations, right, or the world is now on the clock because there's one day when Christ is coming back and he will judge in righteousness. Right. And so God, but God is long suffering and he's patient and he gave them a time to repent. And then I love this part. He says, yet he did not leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rains from heavens and fruitful seasons satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Man, right? So it's not that it's not just that God is patient and merciful, right? All these things are in his goodness, right? He's he's good. Right? And so he not he didn't just say, "All right, I ain't going to kill you, but I'm going to let you live in misery." No, he didn't. He says, you know what? I gave you rains for your harvest. I fed you. I took care of you. You were able to have joy, right, and some happiness and experience some of my goodness, right? Right? His goodness was a witness to them, right? The fact that you can look around, and even though you see mankind, you know, fighting and destroying one another, even though you can see that the creation is affected by the fall, you, 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 you still can enjoy a nice plum, right? A nice piece of watermelon, right? You can still enjoy family. You can still have pleasures in this world, right? And it's God's goodness that should lead us to repentance, right? Not just fearing him, but just looking and saying, man, God, you are so, so good to me. And the reality of it is, is that we experience more happiness 
than misery. When you say that, for the most part, most humans, you know, there are certain circumstances, but for the most part, we experience far more happiness than misery. I have a coworker, or she used to work with me, and she was Wiccan. She practiced witchcraft, and she would always complain about how miserable her life is. And I remember she just came to me one day and was just like, if there's a God, why is all this misery happening to me? And it caught me off guard. I, you know, I'm just casing my mail, minding my business, right? And she just came up and just hit me because, you know, she knew I was a Christian and she heard me talk about my faith. And it caught me off guard. And the only thing that I could say is like, man, did you ever praise God when things were going good in your life? I mean, did you ever have any happiness in your life? I mean, you're breathing. You got a great government job. I mean, you know, I mean, did you ever experience love or affection? Right. And, you know, she just said, yeah, you got a point. Right. And eventually she went back to complaining, but it just goes to show you no one has anything to complain about. You know, whether you're in a third world country or whether you're here in Detroit. Yeah, things are tough, but God is still blessing you. He's still showing his common grace to you. He's still sending his people to come out to to witness to you, to, to share with you his love and his grace and to point you to him the one true God. Now, after he said all this, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. So, and it seems like the sermon just kind of came to a stop, right? You notice Paul didn't get to Jesus, right? The sermon just stopped. Right? But I'm thinking that maybe what he preached earlier, he talked about Christ, and then maybe this kind of helped some of them put it all together. Because, you know, we later on we find that Timothy and his mom and grandma, you know, uh, were, you know, in this city and they came to believe. And so, you know, some people believed. But the, the crazy thing about this scene, it was that after he said all this, after he told them that their religion is a figment of their imagination, and showed them about how God is the creator of all and showed them how patient God has been with them, right? And how good he's been to them. There were still some who wanted to like sacrifice to them, who just, just stuck in darkness, right? And that's kind of how it is with us is that you go and you preach the gospel and you talk about the goodness of God and you talk about him sending his son, Right? And you're saying like, man, just turn from your ways and turn from the living God to the living God. Turn to Christ, right? And he just kind of, now I'm going to continue watching Oprah, right? Now this, next verse. Now, as I was going through these passages, you know, I was really like, the thing... It was just, I was just thinking about how good God has been to me. And then I started to think about how good God has been to my people, right? African-Americans. You see, you know, you go on Facebook, you watch the news, 
and you see all these things and all these bad things happening, right? Shootings and and and, and just and you think about this this the corrupt justice system that is not you know fair and is the, the the war on drugs and like all these things that are like going on in our world and sometimes I can get depressed because I feel less than because I feel like man am I just uh, just a pest to society that is easy to pull the trigger and to take out right. And I just begin to just, man, just think about, man, our plight in this country, right? And, and you could become depressed. But then I was just thinking about, man, God, you, you said you're good and you've been good to us. And so I just started thinking like, man, America, America hasn't always been good to the black man, but God has. Amen. America hasn't always been good to us. But God has. And this is a, a side of the story that we don't often hear in our history books, right? When we hear the narrative of um, our plight in this country, we hear it from the perspective of, you know, Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> you know, and, and we hear just the atrocities of slavery. And we kind of got like this material view of history. And it could just leave us depressed and totally missing out what God has done. And so what happens? We look at where we're at. Right. And we see how hard everything. But we miss the goodness of God. This is a picture of a bunch of slaves and they're praying and they're crying out to God to save them. Right. From their misery, to save them from their oppression. Right. To to free them out of captivity. And you know what? When I look at this picture, it's just I was like, man, it's, it just reminds me God is good. You know why? Because God answered their prayers. Think about it. They came to this country as pagans. Foreign, kidnapped, oppressed. Right. Stripped of their culture and then given this twisted view of Christianity where they learned that. Right. The God of the world actually justified their treatment. But the beautiful thing of it is that even though they did all this is going on, somehow. They, they, they come to see that God is good and that he that he hear their cries. There was an element of faith there. Right. Right. For them to just say, you know what, we're not going to cry out to those pagan gods we used to worship. We're going to cry out to this God that just blows my mind away. So many times I hear people go, you can't don't, you can't trust that Bible it was written by the white man. But my forefathers trusted it and they cried out to God. And guess what? God began to work in the heart of his people. He began to. Um, there was there was just Christians who 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 um, was a part of the Underground Railroad who helped guide slaves up to the north, who gave them refuge, who who gave them shelter, right? Who gave them protection? And then there were Christian abolitionists that went into the world and promoted justice and say, "Listen, we are created in the image of God, and every man should be create should be treated with dignity, value, and purpose," right? 
And guess what? A miracle happened. Why? Because this country was, it was either one, benefiting from the spoils of slavery, or two, they were just apathetic. This people group was in the midst of this hostile territory, land. There's no hope for freedom. But God intervened, and he heard their prayers. And he not only liberated them from captivity, right? But he liberated them from the bondage. Well, not all of them, right? But even some came to know him as king, as Lord. God is good. He's been good to my people. He's been good to the African American. Now, we talked about in this passage of scripture how Paul came and they did a good work. They did a miracle. But the people of Lyconian looked at that good work through the eyes of their worldview. And you know, when I see this picture and what this picture is, this is called the Black Last Supper. And what you have is some, um, you have black legends, right? Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Frederick Douglass, W.E.B. Dubois, Marcus Garvey, Mary McLeod Bethune, right? Harriet Tubman. Just people who fought in the struggle, right? Now, some of these people, um, like Sojourner Truth, you know, had faith, was a Christian. Some of them, mm, nah, not really, right? But the thing is, is that the African-American community, what happens is, is that we, we have our heroes. We have, like, this view that is without God about um, how we got freed, right? And then from there, right, we somehow begin to view Jesus as a liberator. And so when you look at this picture, right, this is just black spirituality, when you came into this community, this is what you walked into because many of us, and I was included, we looked at Jesus as liberator of liberators and not king of kings and lord of lords. And so we see this great work that God has done for us in this country, but now we begin to view it from the lenses of our imaginative Jesus the Jesus of our imagination, the gods of our imagination. We look at it through the lenses of our, our, our pride and our humanism, right? And we say, man, like we did it. We came up. And then this is what you get. You get Jesus in a mix of just men. Now, they did some good thing. They were about the common good. Mary McClown Bethune Right. Fought hard for education. Right. Martin Luther King fought hard for civil rights. Right. They did. Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman. Right. They did great things. But it wasn't for the common good. It was for the kingdom. It wasn't just that. So people was look, say, look at us. We freed you, right? Black people are free. There's, there's, there's racial harmony amongst the world. No. When God introduced himself, right, to the African-American slave, 
when he answered his prayer, their prayers, when he raised up his people, right? When he caused for the Emancipation Proclamation to be signed, he did it to show us that he was good, that he heard you, that he's with you, right? That we should turn from our pagans and turn from our vain ideals, right? And turn to him. And we now just distorted all that he done in this country for us. And we sit here miserable and defeated and just crying and giving glory to all type of things and totally missing what God has done, the good work he did. And my heart breaks because I look at this picture and I understand how Paul feels when he saw the blasphemy of Lyconians, right? Giving God's glory to mere men, to figments of their imagination. And you come here and I just see the, 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 the grip that Oprah has and the grip that the prosperity preachers have and the grip that the liberation theologians have and the grip that materialism have, like just has on my, my community. And it just breaks my heart because I want them to know that, yo, God has been good to the black man in this country and he's still good to this black man. And you know what he's doing? He's calling you to repent and recognize his goodness and recognize that he sent his son to save you, to liberate you from the bondage of sin, not to just set you free from captivity of the slave owners, but from sin to reconcile you. And so, family, I just want to encourage you that as we go out into our community, I want you to know it's going to be really easy for the, the community to see you do good works, to see you teaching their children how to read, and that's wonderful. Continue to do it. To see you pass out a turkey, let's keep passing them out. Book bags, let's keep doing it, right? They're going to see our works, right, and be like, man, those people love me. But man. We got to make sure that we are also proclaiming truth to them, right? You know, proclaiming the gospel, being inviters, right? Inviting them to come here, to hear the word, to hear the one true living God. Because what can happen? They could take your good works and give this fake Jesus the glory. Dear gracious Father, Lord God, Lord God, thank you. You're good. And you have, Lord, even while we were rebellions, rebellious idolaters, idolaters, you, you fed us. You nourished us. You gave us warmth. You cooled us off. You gave us families. You, you, get, you just gave us so much. And Lord, we thank you for it. And we, we thank you for now revealing yourself to us, Lord, that we may see and now give glory to the God where all this goodness comes from. And Lord, I just pray that this community will see your goodness and that they will come to repentance. Lord, we're praying that you will bring revival and that it will be clear that it wasn't from men, but that it was from you. 
And Lord, all this we pray in your name. Amen. All right, family, we're about to have a time of...